following sermon was delivered at the 1030 worship service at the United Methodist Church of Kent. Please enjoy. The sermon this morning is the third in a sermon series entitled Old Words, New Life, Transformative Teachings from the Old Testament. Let's be for a moment in a spirit of prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. One of the most common aspects of human behavior is that people desire to have everything comprehensible and controlled. We want to understand what is happening around us and we want to have a good grip on it. And yet a common human experience is that everything is not so clear or so firmly in our grasp. Paul refers to this reality in that passage we heard from 1 Corinthians 13. In the familiar King James translation, verse 12 is rendered, we see through a glass darkly. More contemporary versions, such as the New Revised Standard Version or the New International Version, say, now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. That is the more precise translation of the original Greek language. It's talking about the image you see in a mirror. But to get the meaning of this, you have to understand that in ancient times, mirrors were not like the mirror you look in each morning. Mirrors were made out of metal generally polished bronze. And of course, if you look at your reflection in polished metal, what you see is somewhat distorted, unclear, fuzzy. Paul is saying that this is what our knowledge is like now. There are many areas of life where we do not have a clear picture. How is the war in Ukraine going to turn out? Recently, the New York Times published an article which outlined that the war could end with a victory for Ukraine, or with a defeat, or with a stalemate. The same kind of uncertainty confronts us in personal life questions. What is your health going to be? How long will you live? How are things going to work out with your family members? In the most important questions of life, we see through a glass darkly. But we do not like such uncertainty, and so we often like to act as though we have everything under control. James talked about this in the passage we heard when he said, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there doing business and making money. He's referring to that common human desire to plan out the course of our lives. But James reminds us of the same kind of fundamental uncertainty that Paul observed as he says, you do not even know what tomorrow will bring. Now this does not mean that we should never bother to plan ahead. Jesus talked about the importance of planning ahead, for example, in his parable of the tower builder, to which I referred in a sermon several weeks ago, which is about someone who was desiring to build a tower and how important it would be that the person would plan out exactly what was required in order to carry out the project in order that it could be successfully completed. We plan in the church all the time. The parking lot project, for example, is happening only because we have been carefully planning for it for months. What James critiques is the illusion that somehow we can have everything in life under control 
It is God who has everything under control. We need to entrust ourselves finally, not to our own plans, but to God. As he said, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and will do this or that. I am someone who loves to have everything planned out. I have the worship plan and the sermon themes planned out for the rest of the year. When I go on a trip, I want to line out exactly where we are going, what we are doing, where we are staying, even sometimes where we are eating. But sometimes things work out a bit differently. Recently, my family traveled to Peru where one of Mavis's brothers and, uh, and his family lived. And as usual, I had the whole itinerary planned out. But sometimes some of the best things in life will happen that are not in the plan. In Peru one afternoon, in the small town of Ollantaytambo, we ended up unexpectedly with some extra time in the afternoon, and we came upon a path, a trail, that I'd never even heard of when crafting the plan. It was a rough trail up of a sharp grade on rocks, not the usual tourist path, and it led to a dramatic set of ruins high above the town. Mavis and I stopped partway up the climb, but our kids scampered all over the area, and it ended up being one of the most fun and memorable parts of the trip for them. Sometimes it is the serendipitous events which bring special joy to life. In the Old Testament, one of the prominent themes is that people become especially blessed when the course of their lives departs from their own plan and they become a part of something much richer as they connect with God's plan. Moses, for example, after he fled from Egypt, settled in the land of Midian, got married, took up the peaceful and secure life of a shepherd. His life, however, took an entirely new direction when suddenly he heard God's call and he launched quite beyond his own expectations or desires into God's grand design to free the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. From then on, Moses' life was full of uncertainty and danger. He never knew exactly what lay ahead. But what he did know was that he was secure in God, and his life became one of extraordinary meaning. We see another prime example of this kind of dynamic in the Old Testament figures about whom we heard in our scripture readings this morning. Abram and Sarai were living in the city of Haran, located in what is now northern Iraq. It was a large, well-developed city, a nice place for retirement. Abraham was in his 70s, Sarai was about a decade younger. But out of that stable, settled, predictable existence, God called them to head to the distant, rugged land of Canaan. They followed that extraordinary call, and from then on, Abraham and Sarai never knew exactly what lay ahead. They embarked into an extremely unsettled lifestyle, traveling as nomads from place to place, living in tents, Along with the summons to Canaan, God also promised Abram and Sarai a child. And God changed Abram's name to Abraham, which means father of a multitude, and changed Sarai's name to Sarah, which means woman of high rank 
indicating how she would be the matriarch of a great people. Of course, having a child at their age also meant a whole lot less peacefulness, and it seemed quite unlikely. Years passed in the land of Canaan, no child arrived, which meant that the whole adventure was shrouded in considerable doubt. This brings us to the story we heard in Genesis 18. It was an ordinary day, and Abraham was taking a midday siesta at the door of his tent, which he had pitched in the shade of some oak trees. At one point, he looked up and saw that there were three men standing nearby. When people see strangers today, common response is to be cautious, defensive. But Abraham embodied one of the most important values of the ancient Near East, hospitality. As soon as he saw the strangers, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them. We do well in the church today to emulate the welcoming spirit of Abraham. You know what often happens in church life. It's what happens in any gathering of people. People tend to greet and to talk with other people that they already know. But what would happen if whenever anyone new came into the church building, people would run like Abraham to meet them? What if they followed up with the kind of gracious welcome that Abraham gave? As the scriptures say, Abraham bowed down to the ground and said, my Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. All right, maybe that's a little over the top for today, but you get the idea. Abraham made these newcomers feel welcome and at home. He imagined they must be weary from traveling. He offered them rest. And then, of course, there was food. We Methodists are pretty good at offering food. As part of our hospitality, you know, every Sunday morning at 11.30, we have food and beverage in Pearson Hall for a fellowship time, thanks to the many people who are involved in supporting that ministry. In Genesis, it reports that Abraham said, let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves. I referred a few weeks ago in a sermon to how the story went from there, how Abraham ran into the tent and asked Sarah to quickly bake three loaves of bread. And then he goes further. The scripture says Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf he'd prepared and set it before them. And he stood by with them under the tree while they ate. Abraham put out a big spread as Christians today we are called to likewise show extravagant hospitality. But there's a yet larger spiritual aspect to be seen in Abraham's receptivity to these strangers. Remember, these are not family members arriving, nor are they the sort of expected visitors that we might have in church. These are complete strangers who show up out of nowhere with no clear intent. Abraham has no idea who they are or why they are there. But Abraham had long since learned that God often works in mysterious ways. And so he was open to the unexpected and the unexplained. The strangers ask about Sarah. Somehow they know her name. Then one of them makes the most incredible statement. I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife Sarah shall have a son. 
Abraham and Sarah were both at this point quite advanced in years, or as the book of Hebrews bluntly puts it, they were as good as dead. Sarah, overhearing the conversation from the tent, is so incredulous that she laughs. But one of the visitors says, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time I will return to you in due season, and Sarah shall have a son. She subsequently would give birth to her son, Isaac. Everything about this story is shrouded in mystery. The three strangers are mysterious. At one point in the story, one of them is identified as the Lord. Are they angels through whom the Lord is speaking? Later in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews refers to this story when it says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some have entertained angels unawares. The strangers have no clear identity, and they deliver a message that is beyond all comprehension. But Abraham and Sarah receive the strangers and finally trust in their message that nothing is too wonderful for the Lord. The biblical scholar Demetrius Dumb once commented on the story as follows. Abraham hurried out of the tent to intercept the strangers and to offer them extravagant hospitality. As it turned out, they were messengers from God, bearing the incredible good news that God had at last set a date for the birth of Sarah's first child. By making room in his life for mystery, Abraham also made room for happy surprise and incredible promises fulfilled. The story of Abraham and Sarah is an encouragement to us to likewise make room in life for mystery. Against that human tendency to want to have everything comprehensible and controlled, the story illustrates how the wonderful working of God often enfolds on, in ways beyond our expectations or our understanding. We do well to let go of our need to have everything firmly in our grip and to trust rather in the working of God and the happy surprises that God yet has in store as we can share in the marvelous unfolding of God's purposes in our own lives. But people often struggle with this. Even when considering the story of Abraham and Sarah and the three strangers, people often have not been satisfied to just leave things a mystery. People have wanted to define who exactly those three figures were. Some have argued that they were the three persons of the Trinity. Others have said one was God, or one was Christ, and the other two were angels. But the story itself just leaves it all a mystery. The human struggle with mystery appears at other points in the biblical story. In the days of Moses, as the people escaped from Israel, they headed out into a trackless desert where they were supposed to just trust in God's leading. But they had no idea where they were going, and soon they wanted to go back to Egypt, where even though they'd be in slavery, everything would be clear, understandable, and controlled. But God led them further, providing them with manna to eat so that they would learn to simply trust in God even when they did not understand. 
Finally, they arrived at Mount Sinai, where they were supposed to wait at the base of the mountain while Moses went up to receive the Ten Commandments. But it was a long wait, and all the people could see was a mountain shrouded in clouds. They wanted something concrete, so they made a golden calf. They wanted to focus on their worship on something they could see, something they could grasp. We struggle with mystery. This is especially true today. We live in an age when science and technology have enabled us to explain and to control a lot of things, so we have an even harder time with mystery. A prime example of this can be seen in an issue that's in the headlines every day these days around the subject of abortion. From a biblical perspective, when you consider the spiritual status of a child developing in the womb, the Bible leaves a lot shrouded in mystery. One passage in Exodus says that if people who are fighting cause a woman to have a miscarriage, things were rough in those days, the forced miscarriage was not to be considered a murder case because the status of a fetus in the womb was different than the status of a child fully born. On the other hand, a couple of scriptures speak of God knowing people as they develop in the womb or even before they are in the womb. What does this mean for real life questions today? If a woman has a miscarriage, should there be a funeral? If God knows each child in the womb, what about children who have severe fetal anomalies, who are not equipped for life in this world? What is God's plan in such a case? Are there cases where abortion is the right course? Many state legislators these days simply want to establish sharp definitions and have everything clear and completely controlled by state law. But as I will point out in an upcoming book, real life situations can get very complex. This is a realm where we do well to make room for mystery. Recognizing that we do not understand all the ways of God, like Abraham and Sarah, we may need to be receptive to how God is working and how God is leading in each particular situation. Ultimately, the challenge to make room for mystery gets to the heart of faith itself. If we only believe and trust in what we can see and define and control, we will never believe in God. But most of the universe, including the subatomic world on Earth, consists of what we cannot see, what we struggle to define, and what we cannot fully control. And that is just the material universe. Spiritual realities, including the nature of eternity, are yet further beyond our grasp. It is faith, finally, that enables us to live well in such a world, because faith inspires us to make room for mystery. When confronting the uncertainties of life, we can trust that God is in charge and God is working even where we cannot fully understand. 
when we are needing to make tough decisions, we can acknowledge that some decisions are just not clear cut. And so rather than grasping after simplistic rules, we can focus ourselves, like Abraham and Sarah, on being open to God so that we may be attuned to God's deeper guidance. We can live with ambiguity, realizing with Paul that in many situations in life we see through a glass darkly. But like Abraham and Sarah, within all of life's mysteries, we can find a deep confidence and a real joy as we live in faith. For we know then that we are a part of an extraordinary and a bright future as we entrust our whole selves to God. Let us pray. O Lord, in many ways in life, we see through a glass darkly, but help us, O Lord, to lift our vision to you, because it is in looking to you that the eyes of our hearts can be open, that we can begin to trust in you, looking to your guidance, your vision, your strength, in ways beyond what we can fully understand, we can be receptive to how you are here to work in life today, how you are here to guide us just as you guided Abraham and Sarah, how you can open paths in life beyond what we can see. Lord, move us as we would live today in faith, knowing beyond all vision that we are secure in your hands, that you are here to lead us in life, you are here to work through our lives, we can find our sure confidence and our everlasting hope in you. We thank you, Lord, that indeed you are guiding us just as you guided Abraham and Sarah, and, and that we can find not only the strength of your presence, but you draw us into connection with others, that we are not journeying alone in this world, but there are companions. And we thank you for all those persons in the life of the church in which we can share together as you draw us into this family of faith, Lord, inspire us as we grow together, as we reach out together. We do reach out and concern to persons at times of particular need and pray particularly this morning for Morgan Kloss and for Jessica Bennett, praying for your ongoing healing power. We thank you for the broader family of our, our wider church congregations that we lift up, especially this morning, our fellow United Methodists at the Atwater United Methodist Church. Lord, as we look into a world today so full of trouble and so full of wrong, Inspire us to see how you are yet at work, how we can indeed find our calling today in you. Guide us this morning, O Lord, as we would open our hearts afresh, as we look to you in faith, as we follow, as you would lead us now, so that we can be a part of the unfolding of your purposes in our own lives, and we can join with you in being instruments of your grace, your truth, your compassion, and your peace in our world. All this we pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to this edition of the United Methodist Church of Kent Sermon Podcast. For more information about the church, visit www.kentmethodist.org.